This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. Names. Names are important. And by the way, the reason to take seriously the naming of our children is because a name speaks to identity. And identity is a big deal. There is, in fact, a three-word question that most of us spend our lives trying to answer, even if we don't realize it. And that question is, who are you? And listen, your answer to that question cuts to the very core of identity and reveals what you believe about yourself. So, if you were given a name based on things that are true about you, what would your name be? In my case, my father's name was John. And John's a great name. In Hebrew, the name John means graced by God. In Greek, it means God is good. Now, my dad was also the fourth. John, hope, more, the fourth. And there's no doubt in my mind that my name would be John Hope Moore, the fifth, if it wasn't for my mother. When I, when I was a kid and asked her why, she told me that the reason for ending the John Hope Moore line was that she wanted her son to have his own name and not be called Junior. And when I was older, However, she confessed that she didn't want her, that the reason she didn't want me to have my dad's name was because my dad's father had a bad reputation. And she did not want her son to share his name. So instead, they named me James after my dad's grandfather on his mother's side. Anyway, I thought my name was just fine until I studied its origins. And it turns out that James is the Greek version of Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver. <laughs> now we see this name first in the book of Genesis when Jacob comes out of the womb, grasping his older brother's heel. And this foreshadows what later happened between the two brothers when Jacob deceived his father and manipulated his older brother into selling his birthright. And that's what the word supplant, by the way, means. It means to supersede. It means to replace. In other words, the origins of my name, not great. However, when you read the entire story of Jacob, God redeems him. God called that fearful, manipulative man into a relationship, changed his name, and made him a major player. You've probably heard of Israel. In God's story. Praise the Lord. Now when Debbie and I had our son in 1985, we named him Alexander, which means defender or protector of men. The name is most famously associated with Alexander the Great, you know, one of history's most powerful military commanders. And I told my son how much I believed in him, how I named him Alexander, so he too would be great. Interestingly, 
30 years later, when Alex had his son, he and Missy named the son Maximus, which means not great. It means the greatest. <laughs> How cool is that? Alex is great. His son is the greatest. But it wasn't long before Missy was pregnant again with another boy. Uh-oh. What could they possibly name the second son that would equal Maximus, which is the greatest? Well, the answer was nothing. I mean, so I figured the best thing to do was just start over at the bottom, name their second son Doofus, and just work their way back up to great. Well, as most of you know, they didn't take my advice. And instead of Doofus, they named their second son Miles, which in Hebrew means gift from God. And then when their third son came along, instead of naming him Mediocre, which was my advice, they named their third son Micah from the biblical Micah mandate, which requires us to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. So yes, I admit, I do like the names they chose better than mine. <laughs> anyway, it's obvious from Scripture that names are very important to God. In fact, even his own name. You may recall several weeks ago when Pastor Alex preached a sermon entitled, Who is God? And he introduced the name Elohim, which is God's name that means creator, mighty, and strong. And then two weeks ago, he continued with Who is God? Part 2, in which he spoke of God as Redeemer, which is you know, Yahweh Sidkunau. Got that? Sid, 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 I say it right? Sidkenu. There we go. Sidkenu, which means the Lord of our righteousness. And then just last Sunday, Pastor Alex did part three of Who is God, identified God as our King or Lord, El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. And this morning, I'd like to share yet another name of God, which is Yahweh Rohi. And that comes from the 23rd Psalm. David, the psalmist, he realized what the relationship God had with him was. And so he declared, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And in the time we have left today, I'd like for us to zero in on this descriptive name of God. A name that declares that he is Yahweh Rohi, which means our shepherd the one who cares for and watches over and protects us. Now, my reason for bringing this message today is that fear and worry seems to be running rampant in our world. It's showing up in people everywhere, and it's somewhat understandable, I think. Here we are trying to recover from a devastating worldwide pandemic while simultaneously dealing with an alarming increase in crime, record high inflation, and the threat of nuclear war. And then add the possibility of terrorist attacks. I mean, it's a major ordeal 
to travel by air these days. You know, from not being allowed to stop your car at the terminal to searching your luggage to the metal detectors and all this because we're afraid of being hijacked. And to make it worse, <laughs> we're made acutely aware of every single frightening event happening in our nation and around the globe because of the news that comes at us 24 hours a day from literally hundreds of different media outlets, from the war in Ukraine to the thousands of fentanyl deaths to hurricanes to earthquakes, tornadoes, fires, tragic accidents. Things just continue to get worse and worse. It doesn't look like there's an end in sight. And the more we know, the more we know, the more we are overcome with worry and fear. As it says in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 18, it says, In, in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. How many know there's a lot of truth in that verse. Where there's much wisdom, there's grief, where there's knowledge, increasing pain. For instance, I, I, I really did not want to know that eggs could kill me. I, I really didn't want to know that. During, during years of blissful ignorance, I ate bacon and eggs without fear, not knowing I could be a victim of cholesterol or salmonella poisoning. Now I can't even look at an egg without thinking, you lousy murderer. You're going to clot and poison me, aren't you? I mean, there's such sorrow in this knowledge. And then just as I began cutting back on my cholesterol intake, I read that certain kinds of cholesterol were actually good for me. I tried eating a little oat bran, some bran muffins, fruit fiber cereals, and now I'm told that even they aren't everything we've been told they're supposed to be. Sugar's been termed a killer, so we're advised to use substitutes. And then we're told that the substitutes can cause cancer. I've read that antacids contain aluminum. They're considered a cause of Alzheimer's disease. Really? Beef is cancer-causing hormone additives. Chicken can contain salmonella poisoning. Fish have iodine. Apples are dangerous because they're using this cancer-causing spray. It's getting to where I'm afraid to open the refrigerator. The cold fingers of death are there. Preservatives, cholesterol, chemical substitutes, additives, we're all in here. Hey, what, why do we need all of this wonderful knowledge? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to have total freedom from all fear and all worry, by a show of hands, how many would like that? Be totally free of fear and worry. Well, I tell you, I certainly would. And that's why. Believing what the Bible says in James 4.2, that we have not because we ask not. I began to pray. And I said, Lord, help me face whatever the future holds. Help me face it with calmness and rest and joy and peace. I want to be free from worry and fear. And the Lord responded to my prayer by taking me to Matthew 10 
and showing me two simple words. And if you'll allow me this morning, I'd like to show you what the Lord showed me, okay? Let's begin with Matthew 10, verse 39. Let's read it together, okay? Read with, with me. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. For even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Sparrows and hair. Sounds pretty elementary, but I've discovered that what Jesus says here is actually very profound. Psalm 34, 4, King David, he boasts that God delivered him from all his fears. Wow. Now, do you know how David found such freedom from fear? I'll tell you how it was, by keeping his eyes on the creator of all things. He kept his eyes on the one who made heaven and earth. He discovered just how big, how awesome God is. And I can tell you, I want to be like David. I want to be like a simple shepherd who learned how to be free of fear and worry and was able to lead other people into that same freedom. And so, I did a little study on sparrows and hair. And I began to get a revelation of David's immense creator God who is interested in every single detail of his creation. If you'll allow me, I want to say just a few things about sparrows. There are 9,000 species of birds. And yet, out of all of them, Jesus referred to the sparrow. Now, you may find it interesting to know that in America alone, there are 35 kinds of sparrows. In Jesus' day, however, the term sparrow was used to describe all small land birds. Recognized for their music, some sparrows can warble as many as 22 different tunes. And like all birds, sparrows are wonderfully made. Their bones are thin and small, but they're also very strong and made especially for flying. Modern science still cannot copy the intricate wing system that allows these birds to migrate two and 3,000 miles. Each sparrow has from 1,300 to 2,600 feathers. They are so intricate. They are so detailed. Our creator designed them perfectly. He designed every bone. He designed every feather. And he counted every one of them. Now, in Jerusalem, Jesus saw sparrows being sold on a skewer, two for a penny. And speaking of these birds, Jesus said, not one of these has fallen to the ground without my Father's knowledge. You see, God knew where every one of those birds was until his little lungs took their last breath. He fed them. He knew every sparrow, even those on the skewers. There's an old song in the church that said, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. 
How many of you know the chorus to that song? I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Okay, that's sparrows. Now, let's talk about hair. <laughs> yeah, Greg says, talk about what? Uh, no, listen. God declares, listen to this, God declares that every single hair on our head is counted by our Father in heaven. It's estimated that the human head has between 100,000 and 150,000 hairs on it. Even those who are bald still have vellus hair, which is unseen by the human eye. You see, God didn't make hair just for appearance. God also made our hair useful. For example, hair on our heads. It's for insulation during summer and winter. Our eyebrows keep sweat out of our eyes. Eyelashes protect our eyelids and when dust or tiny insects get too close. The hair on our armpits helps reduce friction when we walk. Tiny hairs in our ears and nostrils filter particles out of incoming hair. And you may be interested to know that as you age, those hairs aren't always so tiny. <laughs> My point is, Hair is a wonderful and intricate thing. If we could know what an awesome creation hair is, how full of life hair is, we would never doubt that God numbers what he's created. Every hair is a cylinder of cells that is tunneled deep into the skin to reach the blood vessels that nourish the hair. Did you know that? Did you know every hair has muscle? Every hair has nerves? Every hair has glands. I mean, it's true. You even lightly touch the top of your head, and your hair's nerves will alert your brain, and you'll feel it. If you go online, I, I, excuse me while I tell you just one more thing. If you go online and find a drawing of a single human hair, you'll see that there's a cross section will reveal a bunch of different rings. And these rings of tissue surround the cuticle, and it has the cuticle and the medulla and the cortex and the papilla and the, and the root sheath. I mean, it's something. <laughs> Melanin. It's deposited in your hair and produces the color. God put an incredible color factory right in your scalp. And if you, left, and if you leave your hair alone in a lifetime, it will grow to a length of 25 feet. Man, it's no wonder the Lord said in 139, 139th chapter of Psalms, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. Now, now listen, why was Jesus trying to communicate in this passage about sparrows and hair. What was he trying to say? Well, he was teaching his disciples not to fear. He was saying he had created every sparrow. He'd formed every human body, numbered every hair. But see, the disciples just didn't understand. They, they couldn't comprehend his greatness. Now, Jesus could have said, Peter, what if I told you that you have 127,555 hairs on your head? 
168 in your right eyebrow, 161 in your left eyebrow. You have 159 hair follicles in your nostrils, 306 in your left ear, 293 in your right. Your beard's made up of 36,380 hair follicles. Now, Peter, since I have numbered every hair on your head, won't you trust me with every detail of your life? Won't you believe that I know every step you take? Or what if he said to James, James, beloved James, do you know that there are 2,394,065,000 sparrows on the earth as of yesterday? Did you know that in the last 24,000, 2,155,012 died a natural death, 758,142 were trapped or killed, and in Jerusalem's marketplace today there are 2,651 for sale? James, not one falls to the ground without the knowledge of your Father in heaven. Now, James, knowing this, will you still be anxious over nothing? Or will you trust me to take care of all your needs? Will you stop worrying about what you eat and what you drink? Now, will you trust your heavenly Father finally to house you, feed you, and clothe you? Don't you think, don't you think that Jesus wanted to stay stuff like that? Don't you think he did? Don't you think he was frustrated at times, wondering, what more can I do to get you to trust me? And don't you imagine he feels the same about our fear and our worry? Remind you, Psalm 139 says that God thought of you before you were born. Even before your hair color and your sex was determined. He thought of you when your life was breathed into a cell, when you were still in the womb. The Lord, and he thinks of every part. Not, not, and not only does he generally care for our bodies, he goes so much further than that. He counts every hair, every mo bone, every muscle, every fiber, every cell. He's aware of every tear you've shed. Psalm 56 says that he's even counted and bottled your tears. Wow. It is mind-blowing, isn't it? He thinks of us when we lie down. He thinks of us when we rise. He thinks of us in every step we take. He knows and understands every thought we think. And, and consider this. Heaven is populated with highly intelligent created beings. There are seraphim and cherubim, that's the angels. And there are the four and 20 elders. And all of them are witnesses to the faithfulness of our God. They know all the promises he's made concerning his attention to every detail. And if God, listen, if God was to fail in a single one of these promises, all heaven would become chaotic as the heavenly host could say, God failed to keep his word. God cannot be trusted. But friends, he has not failed. The fact that all of heaven praises God still, throwing their crowns at his feet, is proof that they believe in his faithfulness. Praise God, he can be trusted to do all 
that he said he would. Amen? Will you close your eyes just for a moment right now? Just close your eyes. And now say this. Say, God, say, God, I trust you. Okay, now open your eyes. Turn to your neighbor and say, God can be trusted. Will you do that? <laughs> All right. Now, let's go back and see what Jesus said would be the wonderful result of us trusting away all of our fear and all of our worry. Look again at Matthew 10, and we look at verse 31. He says, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Now, for years, I've quoted these verses to people who are lost, people who need salvation. I've quoted it to them, hoping they would publicly confess Christ in worship services. But I've come to realize that trusting God is much more than making a public confession. I've seen lots of people confess Christ and then fail to live Christ. And I believe the key to understanding what Jesus is saying is found in the middle of Psalm 40, verse 3, that says this. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and here's the line, many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, we talk about witnessing for Jesus. And we often picture it, you know, as maybe like street preaching or passing out tracts or telling our friends and strangers, you know, that Jesus loves them. But listen, that's only part of it. The world, the world isn't looking for more doctrinal proof of the reality of God. It's not looking for greater proof of the resurrection. It's not looking for better arguments about creation. No, what the world is looking for are Christians who can stand up to every crisis, every fear, every difficulty, every trouble, and remain calm and at rest in the midst of it all. What the world needs to see is God's children trusting wholly and completely in their Lord. The world must be able to point to a Christian and say, there goes one who's not a complainer. There goes one who doesn't fret or run away in times of trouble. Hey, she isn't worried about tomorrow. Hey, his faith it holds at all times. Because whether you know it or not, you're witnessing and confessing every day to your fellow workers, to your family, to your lawyer, to your hairdresser, to your neighbor, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when these people see you going through a tough time, they watch and they listen. And they're saying to themselves, Will they live what they preach? Will their Jesus let them down? When things go wrong, will they talk and act just like the rest of us who don't claim Christianity? 
When times get tough, what do those around you hear from your lips? Do you realize that continuing to be sad is a terrible confession for a believer? That makes the world think that God has somehow failed you. Here's a question. How do you leave the Lord's presence after praying? Are you still sad and burdened down? If so, maybe you haven't truly cast your cares on him. It'd be good for us to remember Psalm 118.6 when it says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You see, church, God wants a people who are bad news proof. I didn't make that up. It says right in Psalm 112. It says, they do not fear bad news. They continually trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless. So let me ask, is that you? If not, is that what you want to be? Would you like to be free from all worry and all fear? Well, I'm going to tell you something this morning. It's available. And you can have it. The answer is not hard to understand. The answer is not new. To have freedom from fear and freedom from worry, begin to trust in the very one who created you. He's the designer, creator, and sustainer of the universe. And he knows who you are. When we think about all the people on planet Earth, or all the people in the United States, or, or even all the people in Kansas City, we tend to picture them as a group or, or, or a mass of people. But when God thinks about the people on planet Earth, he sees each of us individually. The way parents see their children. It's like when the Gachuris in our church, when they think of their kids, they don't just lump them all together. No, they see Josiah, and they see Elijah, and they see Jeremiah. No, they love them all equally. But they recognize and understand how unique, grandparents are right here, they know this, how unique each one of those children are. And so they deal and relate with each one of those children differently. And it's the same way our Heavenly Father knows each of us. And he deals with each of us and cares for each of us personally. He is a good father, and he is a loving father. He's always watching. He's aware of everything. Nothing happens to you. Nothing happens to me without him knowing it. <laughs> and he's all-powerful. So the prescription for eliminating stress, eliminating worry, eliminating tension, eliminating fear, it's to trust. It's to embrace and declare with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Who is God? Say it with me. Put it up here. Who is God? He is Yahweh Rohi, the one who watches over me. 
cares for me, and protects me. Can you receive it, church? Can, do you believe it? If so, would you stand to your feet? And let's give all our worry and all our fear over to the Lord. Let's lift one hand. Repeat this prayer after me. Almighty God, I accept you as my creator, as my redeemer, as my king, and as my shepherd. Trusting myself, I should be afraid. But trusting in you, I should never fear. I am therefore surrendering my fear, my worry, my anxiety, and my very life to you. I'm putting my trust in you. I am yours. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.